Coming up on episode three of the Keto Cam podcast, we have top functional medicine expert and author of Ketotarian, Dr. Will Cole. There's an unhealthy relationship for guys and girls about food and this dieting and food shame and uh, restriction and uh, it's very unhealthy for long-term sustainable wellness so it's something that i you have to see your child as an individual and how they receive information and obviously make it age appropriate as well but really just to focus on all the good things they can enjoy I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. I'm excited to share Dr. Will Cole with you. This was a very powerful conversation. We talk about conventional doctors and how they spend, most physicians spend no longer than 13 to 16 minutes or less with patients. So we have a a problem here with all these patients who have papers and blood of blood work just stacked on top of the other coming to Dr. Will Cole letting Will Cole know that I don't feel good, but my doctor says my blood work looks good. So if you're somebody who doesn't feel the way you want to feel, but your doctor keeps telling you, hey, your blood work looks normal, then you're going to want to listen to this episode very, very carefully. We also talk about the system being rigged, the system being broken, and how it's not effective, and why it's always treating the effect, never getting to the cause. What we want to do is get to the cause instead of that whack-a-mole game where you're hitting a mole and another mole pops up. That's what happens when you treat symptoms. So we're going to talk about the difference between cause and effect and how to get to the cause so you can actually heal yourself. We talk about autoimmune issues. We speak about autoimmune disease. Over 100 of them are out there and you might have one, 40 additional are linked to autoimmune. His new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, we get a sneak peek about that. We talk about keto for vegans, keto for vegetarians. A lot of people who wanna do the keto diet, but they're afraid that they're going to be eating too many animal products, too much protein and animal fats. That's not necessarily so. So we go into, we take a deep dive into how to do keto as a vegetarian. So you get all the benefits of ketones and you're still able to be a vegetarian, to be plant-based. And that's what his book, Ketotarian, is about. It's a book that kickstarts your body's metabolism to burn fat instead of sugar. So we go into that. We talk about metabolic flexibility. We talk about longevity and how our genes do not determine our destiny. We determine our destiny through epigenetics. We talk about epigenetics, we talk about inflammation, and then two of the biggest healers in this world, 
We talk about that at the end of this podcast episode, and that's going to surprise you. And I 100% agree with these two healers. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert. He consults people around the world via webcam at www.drwillcole.com and locally from his practice in Pittsburgh. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Will Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation, and he is the author of Ketotarian, in which he melds the powerful benefits of the ketogenic diet and plant-based diets. Here is Dr. Will Cole. Okay, I'm here on the Keto Camp Podcast with Dr. Will Cole. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Wow, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. I'm very excited. I've been studying you like a hawk the last few years, actually, especially the last few weeks. I really wanted to dive deep into what you're doing in this world, and I'm really impressed with you, my friend. You are one of the most intelligent young doctors that I've gotten to study over my lifetime, and I really want to dig into what you're doing in this world and what you're up to these days. But before we get to that, I want to hear about your childhood. I want to hear about, because you talked about growing up and doing weird things. Your, your dad's a chiropractor, and he had you drinking health elixirs and raw goat milk while other kids were having chips and soda. So could you share a little bit more about your childhood, childhood yeah. and how that was? Yeah, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, and yeah, I did. I grew up a little bit different than most kids. And... I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, in the country, uh, and I was. I was drinking strange uh, adaptogenic tonics and uh, sprouted organic (laughs) food, all this strange stuff that was really not normal in the 80s and 90s anywhere in the United States, uh, let alone outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But that was form, really um, a, f- a formative time for me to see and understand food at a young age. And it set in place um, my relationship with wellness and health uh, before it was Instagram cool or, you know, there was social media kind of connecting people. Uh, and it's, you know, it's very trendy now, which is great, right? I'm excited about that. But trends come and go. But even if the wellness trend goes or whatever is in, on, in vogue later on, it really won't matter because I know what food can do for people's lives and know what alternative health and wellness can do for people's lives, whether it's getting a spotlight or not. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So, so at what point growing up and you have this lifestyle, which I'm, I imagine at times it was a little frustrating when your friends were having what seemed to be delicious food, and you were having other food, which was probably delicious, but it was different and probably strange to you as a kid. So at what point did it click that this is something that I want to do and actually teach to the world that you wanted to become a doctor? It was in high school, actually. I was probably 16, 17 years old. And I knew that I wanted to get into wellness in some way. It didn't look like functional medicine until I got to my school. I went to Southern California University of Health Sciences in Los Angeles. And it's sort of this awesome 
integrative mecca of NDs and DCs and acupuncturists, uh, oriental uh, medicine doctors, nurse practitioners, all there kind of learning their modalities and crafts. And I had heard of a guy called Datis Karazian, who you know, he's kind of still kind of a, a godfather of functional medicine. He had gone to my school. He was older than I was. And that's when I first knew, okay, this wellness thing is going to look like for me in my path, it's going to look like functional medicine. Yeah, Datis is amazing. Yeah, he's an awesome, awesome guy, awesome mind and leader in our field of functional medicine. So that's that's really where it came to be a formal training. And now, like today, all these years later, I'm speaking to people around the world via our virtual functional medicine practice. And I get to do what I love every day is be a part of somebody's health journey and talk about it. Yeah, I love that. And I acknowledge you for that. So you went to school. You uh, started studying Dr. Uh, Datis Karazian, who is, like you said, the, the godfather of functional medicine. He has a lot of amazing work. And then you have a, a, a practice right now in Pittsburgh, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and based in Pittsburgh, we have a virtual functional medicine practice. So almost 100% of my patients are online. So nobody gets to smell like my nice essential oil diffuser because everyone's, I'm speaking to people the way that I'm speaking to you right now. So I'm not only standing at my standing desk, I'm sitting down right now having my green tea. Uh, but yeah, that's what I do. I primarily, I have my team here. We have a brick and mortar clinic. I have my team here, but we are talking to people in other states and countries and countries consulting them about their health. Great. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing about technology. You could, at the tap of a button, talk to somebody in Australia. Yeah. It's convenient for people that maybe don't have access to a functional medicine doctor. Uh, They're in a a more rural area, or they just want somebody that has experience with what they're going through. And it's convenient, too, in our our day and age, right? People can be in their pajamas and just wake up and talk to their doctor or after hours, you know, depending on the time zone. Yeah, absolutely. So you have you have two kids, correct? A son and a daughter? I do. I have my son, Solomon, who's uh, going to be 13 this year. My daughter, Shiloh, she's just turned 10. So I, I have like a I'm teenager, like double digit kids now. It's, it's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> but yeah, I do have two kids. Is it weird because they're age and it's making you yeah. feel a little older? <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, it's so cliche, but any parent will know out there that it's it does go by so quickly and it's just like this flash of of events uh, and then you're like whoa how are they 13 years old um it is really um awe-inspiring how how fast time goes yeah do they ever come to any of your lectures or, or local workshops the cool thing about my job is when i'm not seeing patients during the week normally weekends and long weekends i travel to talk about ketotarian or something about functional medicine and i um get to take them oftentimes. So yes, they're normally in the front row um, listening to me. Sometimes they'd rather be in the hotel room, like chilling and my son in particular, but normally they're in the front row and they get to see me talk and they like it. They, lo- they like the experience of getting to go and be a part of it, which is a cool experience for me as a dad to take them along with me. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I, I always tell my girlfriend, one of the things that I, I make myself happy is when I'm giving a lecture and I see her in the audience, it, I, I just get so happy seeing that. So mm-hmm. I could imagine seeing your children there when you're speaking to an audience and yeah, what joy that would bring to you. So I wanted to ask you with your kids, do they ever talk about aspirations of being into the, in the health space or a doctor or anything like that? Yeah, they do. My, my son is very um, into the concept of helping people he wants to help people in some awesome way i don't think he knows 
at 12, almost 13, what that looks like. But yeah, I, I think if anybody, he would be more in, he asks me when he's old enough, can I work in your clinic? So I, I think that's sweet, you know, that he's thinking of his first job and wants to work, work with me, which is nice. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned uh, one of the podcasts I was listening uh, with you, I think it was with Drew Manning, that when, when your kids uh, in the past complained because of uh, eating healthy food and they wanted the bad stuff, mm-hmm. you would shift their mindset and you would say, look at the healthy food we get to eat and feel great as a result of it and loving your body enough to feed it well. Mm-hmm. I, I love that message you instill with them. And could you expand upon why that's important to instill that with your children? Yeah, because it's important for little boys and little girls and adults as well to have a healthy relationship with food. Uh, but especially as you're forming that little one's relationship with the world around it, food being a part of that, it's very important to have a sense of grace and lightness to food uh, because there's so much cultural baggage, especially for young girls, but for guys too. And people probably don't talk about that enough, but I think there's an unhealthy relationship for guys and girls about food and this dieting and food shame and uh, restriction and uh, it's very unhealthy for long-term sustainable wellness. So it's something that I you have to see your child as an individual and how they receive information and obviously make it age appropriate as well. But really just to focus on all the good things they can enjoy and educate them about how food impacts our health and our wellness and our energy levels and all the things that they want. Like my son, he's at the age now at 12, he wants to like get muscles and like be strong and grow tall, taller than me and all of that stuff. So <laughs> you, you could say, hey, look, you can, the foods you eat impact your your healthy hormones and they impact your metabolism and they allow your body to grow strong and healthy. So you can really educate them in that moment. And when kids start having hormonal changes and maybe their skin starts breaking out, you can say, hey, look, the foods you, impact, foods you eat can impact your hormonal surges and make it better and even out that volatility. Uh, and again, making it age appropriate, maybe not using the word volatility, but <laughs> <laughs> make their body feel better, look better. It's a, it's a great thing. So it's not about obsession. It's not about uh, punishing your body by not having all the good stuff. It's really just focusing on all the good stuff and the grace that we get from, from feeding our body good things. Yeah, that's such a powerful message for anybody listening or, or watching this on YouTube. You could mold your kid's future and teach them this relationship with food in their body and how it makes them feel after they have the food. For me growing up, well, I, you don't know this about me, but I was actually obese for the first 24 years of my life. My mom was a manager at KFC, so she would bring... And she was just doing her best. She was immigrant from Iran. She would bring me Kentucky Fried Chicken. I would eat like Tombstone Pizza. And I didn't have this relationship or this awareness with what food did to me until I hit rock bottom in my life and started studying it. So I think it's so important. I know it's so important to teach this to your children. So anybody listening who has kids or you're going to have children like myself, uh, it's such a powerful message. So I love that you share that with them. So let's Yeah, you're welcome. Let's fast forward to what you're doing now. You have your clinic in Pittsburgh. You have a, a book that we're going to talk about shortly, and you're working virtually. You, you say that you do a complete health history with your new patients that come in to determine cause, which I love. And you had said even one of your older patients asked you if you were in the KGB because of all the questions. <laughs> Why is it important for you, Will, to uh, get a comprehensive health history of your patients? 
You do your research for guests. That's good. You're doing, you're doing your stuff. Uh, it's so important because so many people, I mean, most of my patients have seen tons of doctors by the time they've gotten to me. They've gone, done almost everything in conventional medicine. Typically, they've exhausted all their options. I'm not their first stop, even though it's a rarity that I see that because some people are proactive about their health. But sadly, that's not most of my patients. Most of my patients have gone through a lot of stuff and a lot of suffering and their doctors are basically saying, look, we've done everything we can do for your autoimmune issue or your hormonal problem or digestive issue or neurological symptoms. These are the people that I spend my time with. So I have to go beyond the surface. They've had the pile of labs conventionally or in, and even functional labs. They've had the, the basic health history. So my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to say, okay, what is missing here? What things haven't been ruled out? What, and then for sometimes it's, they have uh, inklings of information, but it was just, we haven't done, given it the full attention that it needs and the time that it needs and the thoroughness that it needs the follow through that it needs. So yeah, we ask a lot of questions and that guy in particular, he, <laughs> he thought that I, I was somehow in the Russian secret police, but I wasn't. I was just a functional medicine practitioner wanting to say, okay, the outer third of your eyebrows mean, if it's thinning, it means something. If, if you crave salt, it means something. It's all these sort of strange, seemingly unrelated questions to what they're experiencing their symptoms. But we know in integrative health and, and functional medicine that, that these things are clues as to, okay, what labs are the most relevant? Because I don't want to just run labs for the sake of it. What are the most appropriate labs that are case specific to that patient to give them the best answers they need as to why they feel the way that they do? So a th thorough health history is so not respected enough because I think it can really give us a lot of information of sometimes you don't even need to run labs. It's just we, it'll help us formulate what the action steps would be. But then beyond that, it, yes, it does inform what labs are the most appropriate to. I think that is so important to do a thorough health questionnaire. And most doctors, even a lot of functional doctors, are not doing it to the extent that you do it and what you just explained. So for anybody listening and you have a doctor or a practitioner who's just asking you some basic questions and not digging into your history, for me, that would be a red flag. For myself, when I have new clients, I'm asking them a whole list of questions as well. I have a neurotoxic questionnaire. Have you ever lived by a golf course? Have you ever had the flu shot? Ever had water damage? What year was your house built in? It's, it's all these pieces to the puzzle that help somebody like, like Will and myself form what we want to do next, what tests we want to run so we could remove the interference and let the body heal itself. And that's why I resonate with you so much because I heard you share about that. And, and I love that. That's, that's what I look for when somebody I'm studying and how I know they're actually doing some great work in this world. So I, I think that's great. It's funny how he thought you were in the KGB. I, I get some weird questions too. I haven't had that one yet. You talked about how when people get to you, they are, they've been to doctors. They've been, they have a whole list of lab work compiling and, and they just, they're not sick enough to be diagnosed, but they're experiencing symptoms. Why is the system set up this way? And what do you set out to change about it? Well, I think that the standard model of care, mainstream medicine, I mean, I would assume the best in people. And that I think the individual doctors obviously got into medicine because they want to help people. So this is not an indictment on any individual conventionally trained doctors. I think most of our colleagues in functional medicine are conventionally trained and they realize they have to do something different to help people because it's the system that is really um, 
broken and a system that is quite distracted on things that are not the most effective with the least amount of side effects. So the system is largely trained to diagnose a disease, give it an ICD-10 code or a diagnosis code and match it with a medication. And when you're talking about people with that I spend a lot of time with as patients, people with autoimmune issues, their main options are steroids, immunos, you know, biological, uh, biologic drugs, immunosuppressants. That's really the end stage problem. So they don't put everybody on those medications, but when it gets bad enough, they'll just basically punish the and suppress the immune system down. Um, but that those problems don't happen overnight. By the time it gets to that point where they're wanting to put you on a steroid or a biologic drug, that's on average going on 10 years prior to that diagnosis. So that's a decade on average of people struggling with health issues that are told there's nothing wrong with you, or it looks autoimmune, you know, or you're, you're just depressed, here's an antidepressant or whatever. I mean, they're sent from doctor to doctor with a pile of labs and really nothing to show for it. So this sort of reactionary approach to specifically autoimmunity, but you really can plug into just about every chronic health problem out there because all chronic health problems, they're chronic for, they're called chronic for a reason because they don't happen overnight. So these things are degenerative over time. And there's the spectrum of which in my second book is going to be talking about the inflammation spectrum where that on one end, it's the fatigue and the brain fog and the maybe weight loss resistance. And then all the way on the other side of that inflammation spectrum, it's the diagnosable diabetes, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune conditions, things like that. So whether you're on this end of the spectrum or that end of the spectrum, what can you do now? Give your body the best chance it has to feel the best it can feel. And I'm not to say that everything we're doing in alternative health or wellness and functional medicine, some people have been sick for so long, they'll never be 100% better, but we have to get them the best they can be to live the best life they can live. Uh, and that's a better alternative than take this medication for the rest of your life, even though the patient knows in their life they're not actually getting better. And they also can have potential side effects from these medications. So it's... Um, by all means, I think that what we're doing in functional medicine is revolutionary. And the, the fact that now, today, the Cleveland Clinic has a functional medicine center, the Mayo Clinic, and other conventionally trained hospitals are now providing functional medicine is speaking loudly. And the idea that people can still call it quackery or pseudoscience, the fact that you have the gold standards in conventional medicine adopting functional medicine centers speaks otherwise. So I think that this old paradigm is dying. It's, it's, it's clawing its way. Uh, it doesn't want to die, but it, it's dying because we have to do something different to see something different. And you can look at the unsustainability of healthcare costs and chronic disease growing by leaps and bounds, yet we spend more on healthcare than any other country than the next 10 top spending countries combined, yet we have the most disease, the shortest lifespan of all industrialized nations. This is a wake-up call. And you can either keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, or you can do something different. And that's hopefully my message and your message and what we're trying to get out to people. Yeah, yeah. And you're doing a great job with this message. You are making a big dent in this. And you're right. You know, I, We're being proactive here and not reactive. And one of my favorite quotes is from Albert Einstein. He said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So what we're doing here is we're, we're geniuses, right? And we're empowering other people to become geniuses as well. 
Uh, that's why I resonate with you so much. I, I want to, before I get into the Ketotarian book, which I love, by the way, I want to talk about what led up to it. You were a vegan for 10 years, correct? And your health started to decline. What, what kind of struggles did you have during your journey with veganism? Yeah, so we talked about my childhood and then it evolved from that sort of real food, crunchy 80s, 90s vibe <laughs> to a vegan, conventionally vegan, vegan diet where I would go to the natural health food store locally and, and get all the vegan foods. And a lot of it was real food. Most of it was uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, but then sprouted grains, whole grains and uh, legumes and things like that. Um, and I felt good for a large part of that decade. But my experience over those years is just because something's better doesn't mean it's optimal long term. Uh, so that's where my diet naturally evolved to ketotarian, which is, I didn't call it ketotarian there, but it, then, but it was a high fat, lower carb, still mostly plant centric, real food approach to food. And that's now where the my book ketotarian was born out of my own personal experience but also my professional experience of seeing how the keto diet the ketogenic diet was done not as optimally uh, i think for long-term wellness in the short term it has its benefits but long term how do we make this part of our life um is really another reason why i wrote the book yeah i i love that so you transition from being vegan to being vegetarian. You mentioned that sometimes you'll have some grass-fed beef on occasion. Yeah, and, and wild-caught fish. So. And wild-caught fish, Yeah, which is great. Uh, I do too for myself. Uh, what, what role does exercise have in results, not just for yourself, Will, but for in general? What, what percentage would you say does exercise alone have when it comes to somebody getting healthy? That's a good question. So the general functional medicine phrase that I probably would have said for a large part of my career is that food is such a powerful driver and food is so primary and then the exercise is the icing on the cake, the healthy grain-free. <laughs> but the, and I still would say that for a lot of people, but I think that the answer, the real correct answer after seeing so many patients over the years is that that ratio of food versus exercise looks different for different people. And that's really the heart of functional medicine anyways. And what works for one person may not be right for you. And we're all different. So I find that that pie, I keep using dessert <laughs> analogies here, but that pie is uh, different for different people. For some people, food is important, but when they start moving their body, it's such a huge modulator in their quality of life. And then for other people, food is the major modulator and the exercise is that icing on the cake. So I think it's down to the individual. They're both important. They're the two sides of the same coin. They, they shouldn't be one without the other. But the influencer on labs and quality of life, I see influence different people in different ways. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I've seen the same as well. So for exercise, I know that you enjoy a Peloton and you, you do yoga. Uh, is there anything else you enjoy doing for, for your exercise, for your fitness? I do. I love my Peloton and I'm not sponsored by them, but they, they just fun, endless, like different exercises with weights and not weights and floor mat. It's not just the bike. It's so much more than that. But, um, I do my own circuit. Like if I'm traveling, I don't have my Peloton bike. They have the app, but I've never done that before. I just, I will do like a, just a circuit on in the hotel gym or in my own room, uh, where it's a blend of, I do a, a friend of mine has some videos they're called he's called a T Mac 20. He's a blend of yoga, high intensity interval training, 
uh, Todd McCullough, TMAC20, great stuff. So I'll do his stuff on the road or just to mix up um, my workout. So it's a blend of weights and body weight, uh, burst training circuit stuff, and then the Peloton. That's mainly what I do. I, I used to do more in the past, like a hot yoga vinyasa flow. I do it less now, but I, I it's I'm sort of cyclical with the formal classes. I like the convenience of just doing my own thing, driving to the class and then doing the whole class and then driving home. It's like a, so inefficient for me. I'd rather just get it done and do it right where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, spoken like a true entrepreneur. Me, me too, my friend. <laughs> so you were recently just in Miami. You were giving a workshop at um, the Sacred Space here in my, I'm, I'm located in Miami. Yes, I'm sorry I, we missed each other, but I, I meant, yeah, it was a yeah. whirlwind trip. It's, it's not a problem. We'll, we'll catch each other next time. What do you think of Miami? Uh, did you enjoy your trip here? I love Miami. So I, it, my, I got to take my part of my team down with me. Uh, and the sacred space, if you're in South Florida, you need to check it out. Carla Descal, who owns it, she's a friend of mine. She's, just, um, she's doing amazing things. Uh, is, they have an amazing plant-based restaurant that has so many ketotarian options there. Carla, who owns sacred space, is ketotarian. She eats that way. And... Um, they have amazing events there, and I'll actually be there at the end of this year, too, in November, uh, when my next book comes out. So I'll be back in Miami then. Oh, awesome. It's really cool. I love Miami. The whole, everything you guys have down there is a really nice environment. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful here. I was born and raised here, so I've seen it. Uh, born in Miami Beach, and I live in Bay Harbor Islands. Incredible, and Sacred Space is awesome. Uh, I could attest to that as well. And when you come in November, we'll link up. That's a really busy time because it's right before Art Basel. Uh, uh-huh. So be prepared for a lot of uh, cool activities. Yeah. All right, so during your vegan journey, I, I was actually vegan too, strict vegan for a year and a half, uh, six or seven years ago, and I became orthorexic. And I know you talk about the dangers of getting this obsessive compulsive desire to be healthy while you might be extending the longevity and adding years to your life, you're decreasing the quality of your life. So do you see that often? And what is the problem of becoming too obsessive over what you're eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the militant approach to food, it, it could happen with vegans. I think it can happen in the keto, I see it happen in the ketogenic community too. And just wellness as a whole, uh, it really could just be this unhealthy relationship with food that be, can become orthorexia, which can be a mild orthorexia to extreme versions of that of which I see. I find in my clinic, when I do see someone that is going through orthorexia or this fear, anxiety, stress around eating food, it normally happens and starts with some good intentions and some real health problems. So they know, hey, when I eat this food, that doesn't make me feel good. Or they're having these multiple food reactivities that then that births this orthorexia because they're just so fearful of having uh, food that makes them feel bad. Or sometimes it isn't the physical response. It's just the fear of the food making them not healthy. Uh, both is not good. So we have to kind of untangle that stress and anxiety and obsession uh, to start to heal the person physically, but also heal the relationship with food. Yeah, that's such a powerful and underestimated or undervalued message right there. So I hope everybody's listening to that. I want to get into your book now, Ketotarian, which is uh, an amazing book for those watching on YouTube. Make sure you get this book. It's pretty much available everywhere. I listened to it on Audible and I bought the copy, so I recommend doing both. It's a a wonderful book. The definition of ketotarian, I'm going to read it here, a ketogenic plant-based rock star 
the amalgamation of delicious healthy fats and vegetable meals to optimize your metabolism, brain, hormones, and overall health. Switching your metabolism from burning sugar to burning fat. That is the freedom from food cravings. I, I love that description. That's a really great uh, word to kind of create right there, ketotarian. Uh, I acknowledge you for that. Now, I want to know, and, and you say in the book, a ketogenic state is the true natural state for the human body, which is a fat burner. What's the difference between burning sugar and burning fat? So most of us uh, in the West, United States and Europe, uh, around the, the, the world in the Western civilization are in various forms of sugar burning um, mode. And this, we have two ways of getting fuel from our food. We either are being a sugar burner or, or a fat burner. A sugar burner in various degrees there uh, can be the Western American diet, the standard American diet with its refined carbohydrates and sugar. And that's what's fueling people and they get hangry if they miss a meal. And it's all sugar and foods that break into, down into sugar like grains. Um, and then there is the cleaner whole foods diet, but it's still a lot of smoothies and fruits and legumes and starches and grains and whole grains and things like that, that still break down into sugar. That's like kindling on a fire. You have the dirty kindling of the standard American diet and then a cleaner kindling of the sort of whole foods, but still carb heavy approach. And stuck into that sugar burning mode, there's really little metabolic flexibility. They're kind of just stuck into that sugar burning mode. And what I wanted to educate people in the book, Ketotarian, is to regain that metabolic flexibility so they can tap into that fat-burning uh, mechanism that all of our bodies have to burn fat, yes, but also to create, as I mentioned in the definition of Ketotarian, to create food freedom, to not be bound by cravings and hangriness, and the brain-boosting anti-inflammatory benefits of burning fat for fuel, too. So those are the really why I uh, way that I why I worded it that reason and and through this journey of ketotarian and how I advocate it in the book is to go eight weeks mostly plant based keto or you can be entirely plant based if you want but from then they can they've built that metabolic flexibility they can go into sugar burning mode if they want to and then go back into fat burning mode and do sort of a cyclical ketotarian approach or do a seasonal approach where from an ancestral health standpoint that resonates with some people doing more ketogenic in the winter months and in the summer months having more fresh fruit and tubers and stuff like that. Uh, and then some people obviously benefit from longer term ketosis, people with weight loss resistance, insulin resistance, neurological symptoms, inflammatory problems. So I wanted to uh, allow people to personalize this approach of fat burning and sugar burning. Where do they feel the best at? Where are their goals met at? And to really own it for themselves. And that's not going to be this one size fits all approach. But I do know just being stuck in sugar burning mode isn't the answer. Let's create some flexibility there. And that takes some time. And that's what a ketotarian is about. Yeah, I, I believe that metabolic flexibility is one of the, the keys to having an, a long, healthy life. You, you gave a lot of sh uh, shocking statistics in your book. And I'm going to read a, a few of them here. And uh, I, I want to know after I read them, do you believe that this trend is going to get worse or do you think it's going to get better? So here, here are some of the stats. Nearly 20% of all adults have a diagnosable mental disorder. 81% of Americans take at least one medication per day. 
one in 68 children are diagnosed as autistic. And you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, the, the United States spends more on healthcare than the next top 10 spending countries combined, and we rank the last of all industrial nations when it comes to living a long, healthy life. That That's very disgusting. These are disgusting stats. Where do you see this going in the next 20 years? I think we're at a crossroads. I think we can do one or the other. It's unsustainable. So we have to do something. It's either going to collapse, and this is probably too apocalyptic for some people, the system and not just the healthcare system, but the financial system that's tied into that as well, will either collapse and rebuild. It's inevitable one way or the other, or I hope that people start waking up to this and we can start lowering the burden that this is having on our society, both the health burden, longevity, and that's primary, but then secondary, also the financial burden. It's unsustainable to just keep throwing more and more money at disease management when ultimately this, these numbers keep growing. So I, I think there can be pockets, there's going to be pockets of great things and pockets of advancements of health and people getting back to the basics and starting to take responsibility for their wellness. And then I think that the larger monolith of health probably will keep going until it fully collapses. That's probably what's going to happen because it, there's, there has to be a dramatic change of the way we do healthcare for it to be a complete turnaround. I don't know if it's possible at this point. It's just too um, big and too there's too much vested interests in it maintaining. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And we're going to do our job and we're going to educate as much as possible to put a dent in that. Something that I always talk about, Will, is our DNA, the genes we were born with, not being our, our destiny. And you touched upon that in the book. You said research has shown over 90% of our longevity is determined by the choices we make, not our genetics. Could you expand upon that? Yeah, I mean, the old view of genetics was that, you know, if my parents had a health problem or if it was in my family, then that was basically inevitable. And there was this really this, there's nothing you could do about um, health and wellness. And even here, older generations will say that, well, it's just genetics. And the reality is genetics is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the biggest piece of the puzzle in most cases. So the majority of health problems that you see today, autoimmune conditions, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, those type of things, largely are influenced by epigenetics. So it's the lifestyle things that we're doing or not doing that's actually influencing genetic expression. So the foods that we're eating or the foods that we're not eating, our stress levels, exposure to environmental toxins, our sleep, physical activity, they're constantly and dynamically instructing and influencing genetic expression, turning on good genes, turning on bad genes, turning off good genes, turning off bad genes. So that is a huge message of self-responsibility and empowerment uh, that we all can take action on our health today to improve the health the best that we can because we can't change our genetics. People can have bad genetic predispositions for things, but what are we doing to protect our genes, to do the best we can with what we've got? And that's really the message of of what I do as a, as a functional medicine practitioner. Uh, and I, I also talk about in the book as well. Yeah, it's such a, such a powerful message to the fact that we have control over the expression of those genes. We have over 90% control over these genes that we're born with. That should make anybody who understands that feel so empowered to take control over their health because they can. And, and you're showing that with your books and with your work. So I, I just want to encourage anybody listening right now or watching this on YouTube, 
know that you have control over your destiny. It's not your DNA that, that determines your destiny. You spoke about how people coming to you are, are not sick enough to get diagnosed and uh, they're kind of on, in this second stage. They have mm -hmm. a, a long list of lab work and what you do is determine what, what is this interference that's pre preventing this body from healing itself. And you, you go on to talk about the conventional doctor's way of giving nutrition and how you wouldn't go to a mechanic and ask for advice on how to garden, yet you go to a conventional doctor and you ask on uh, nutrition advice. Why is it that um, there's a huge misconception there when it comes to conventional doctors and nutritional advice? Is Because what you just said is they, they don't really have that much education on nutrition. And is that true? And why are so many people putting so much value in nutritional advice from conventional doctors? Yeah, I, it's, I mean, you look at the statistics, which is in the book, um, that most research shows that most doctors would fail a basic nutrition test uh, when it comes to just giving basic advice. And, and some of them know that and they won't give much advice on it, which I think is appropriate. I think at that point it's referring to the dietitian or the nutritionist, which is a whole other thing as far as the advice that people are given. But at least they know that they're not fully trained in it. Then the other side is, well, maybe they do know just enough to give out blanket statements, um, but yet this leaves a lot of people falling short or they'll make judgment calls on certain things that are maybe based on outdated science, maybe something that they've read in a journal once years ago, but it's really not based in the most up-to-date leading, you know, cutting-edge science in nutrition and, cl and clinical nutrition and functional medicine. That's a problem. It's a, it really should be a central part of training and conventional medical doctors. Why? Because you look at the most of the people that these PCPs, general practitioners, endocrinologists, uh, rheumatologists, these people that these, uh, the patients that these doctors are seeing are largely have health problems that are influenced by lifestyle. Why wouldn't they be trained then on some simple things that are actually very cheap, very inexpensive to start improving the quality of life? And that's not to say there's not a place for medications. They could still give out the appropriate medications, but they would need to give a lot less uh, if people are healthier. And for some patients, certainly they wouldn't need any medications because of the power that food influences their, their physiology. It's just so backwards and dysfunctional. And that's part of what I'm saying, like the whole medical training education system is focusing on something that is, it's not the most effective option in so many cases, but yet it's, they're all tra trained and primarily just giving out pharmaceutical drugs. So it's just really co-opting of the medical education system that is so dysfunctional. Um, now, look, there's a large amount of conventionally made, trained doctors, more than ever, more than ever now, that are seeing the same thing that I just said, that are going to the Institute for Functional Medicine, IFM, or they're going to something else, and they're learning the things they didn't learn in medical school. And they're unlearning some things they learned in medical school to start to say, how can I help patients? The problem is when they go back to their private practice or their hospital system, they can't even practice those things because they're given five minutes with the patient and they're told they can only do X, Y, and Z and X, Y, and Z are the medications. So then they have to go into private practice just to help people. So this is part of that dysfunction we're seeing that it's really hard for even doctors to get patients healthy when they are trained in functional medicine. Yeah, yeah. And there is a shift happening with that. And I think the internet makes uh, 
it, the internet's important when it comes to people getting educated. It's a yeah. double-edged sword. They could get educated on Dr. Google, like you said in your book. It's a fickle, a fickle beast. It could be negative or it could be a, a positive uh, education. There is a shift happening. There are doctors who are, are going more on the functional end, like yourself. What you said was was important. You said they're unlearning and relearning. And that, that reminds me of a, a quote from uh, Bob Proctor. He said, the illiterate of the 21st century are not those who cannot read or write. It's those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm-hmm. That's what it is right there. It's a lot of things we've been conditioned to believe are fact when actually it's just treating symptoms, treating uh, the, the effect. And the goal is to get to the root cause. Why is this person experiencing this? So that's why I love what, what you do and, and what you're, you're talking about in this entire episode. Let's get into inflammation. I know inflammation is linked to just about every single disease out there. And you talked about, you talk a lot about autoimmune. You have a lot of autoimmune patients. There's at least a hundred autoimmune diseases out there with no additional 40 that are linked to autoimmune. And it all stems to inflammation, cancer, diabetes. It's all linked to inflammation. You have a new book coming out, The Inflammation Spectrum, Find Your Food Triggers and Reset Your System. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit more about this book, what inspired you to write it, and when it's going to be released? Yeah, thank you. So uh, the concept of the inflammation spectrum actually wrote about in Keto Terry and it's it's mentioned. So my second book, The Inflammation Spectrum, is a deep dive in this concept that I first talked about in Keto Um, And it's really a, a functional medicine lifestyle guide to start finding out what foods your body loves and what foods your body hates and to be on food just to lower inflammation levels, which is, again, this commonality between just about every health problem we face as a society today. So autoimmune diseases, cancer, heart disease, but then things that don't seem inflammatory to people like anxiety, depression, brain fog have been shown to have inflammatory components as well. To start to arrest and calm down that inflammation and balance inflammation in the body, which inflammation isn't inherently bad. It's a product of the immune system. We need inflammation, but it's the Goldilocks principle. We don't want it too high. We don't want too low problem is most people around the world today are having inflammation too high for too long. So the inflammation spectrum, the system in the book is designed to find out what the root cause of your inflammation is based on a quiz. So you take the inflammation spectrum quiz, you can see what parts of your body has higher inflammation levels. Uh, And then based on the results of the quiz, you can customize this sort of uh, journey to use food as medicine that's specific to your case. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. It comes out October 15th, 2019. It's on pre-order now. So you can go on Amazon, you can go to drworldcool.com and pre-order it now. But we have some amazing blurbs for people who read the preliminary um, copies. I'm really excited about it. And uh, yeah, so it comes out this fall. I'm excited for it too. Yeah, I'm going to put all the links for everything we mentioned in the show notes. Uh, I recommend you pre-order. I saw it was available for pre-order also on Audible. So I'm going to pre-order it on both Amazon and Audible. And uh, I'm excited for it as well, October 15th. Next, I have a few more questions before we wrap this up. Well, mm-hmm. I believe that two of the biggest healers that we have in this world are love and gratitude. And we could be eating the healthiest diet. We could be exercising our butt off, getting good sleep. But if we're not loving ourselves, if we're not practicing gratitude, it's going to be very difficult to get the results that we want. And you said you cannot heal a body you hate. I love that quote. I agree with that message 100%. I want to know, why is it so important for you for, for this message to get out there of love and gratitude? And how do you practice it in your life? 
Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I think that that right there, love, gratitude, self-respect is the core of sustainable wellness because you can get the macros right or like you said you can get all the details of wellness and science that we talk about but if you don't like what's the ethos what's the why of what what you're doing that will propel you to sustainability or propel you to something that will just be another fad diet for you to try to add to your pile of fad diets so if you get your head right your heart right if you get your relationship with your food and relationship with your body and yourself right that will create an infrastructure for sustainable wellness. So it's so important. And the beyond that, it'll just make everything you do more sustainable. It'll also lower stress levels, which is not good for your health. It'll also just create a healing environment for, for your physiology. Because like you said, it's not just about food and movement. It is also your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health influences your physical health. And beyond that, mental health is physical health. It's the same thing. So we need to stop divorcing these aspects of our health because you have to deal with all sides of these of, of you. Yeah, 100%. So I want to know, what are you grateful for today, Will? Hmm. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for God and all the things he's given me in my life. And I'm thankful for us being able to live in a time where when you look at the totality of human existence, we live in an awesome time. Uh, we can connect to people around the world. We live in, for most of us, we live in quite simple times compared to what humans have gone through for a long time. So, and I know there's exceptions to that and there's still a lot of suffering, but there's a larger group than ever of humans that live really well. Uh, and I don't want to take that for granted. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and you know, that, that attitude of gratitude gets you so far in life. And I, I've learned that. And every, anytime I find myself frustrated, I say this number in my head, which is 150,000. That's the amount of people that die on planet Earth every single day. So whenever I feel frustrated, I say 150,000. And I'm grateful that I'm not one of those people, one of those statistics. So if you are listening to this right now, you're breathing, you're hearing, that is something in itself to be grateful for. I, I love that. I love that you talk about it often too. So I acknowledge you for that, Will. Thanks. I have a couple more questions. Three more, in fact. Is there any question that you want to see, you want more people to ask you, but you don't really get asked? And what would that question be? Hmm. I think probably what you, was what you asked me. It's the, it's the love and respect of yourself and that being the origin of sustainable wellness. Because I think that is so important because if people get that right, a lot of things will happen a lot more effortlessly and sustainably for them. So it was the question you just asked me. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> and what is your definition of perfect health? It would be balance. And I don't mean that in a fluffy Instagram sort of way. I mean it in a, that people have to find that balance for their life that they have peace and they have contentment and they have vitality in their life. So that looks different for different people. Um, but I feel like that's what ultimate health is. It's a balance of our physiology. It's our balance of our mind, our spirit. It's all of that stuff. Because when things are out of balance, that's when you have inflammation. That's when you have stress levels. That's when you have anxiety. That's when you have poor sleep. There's a lack of balance. Yeah, absolutely. Last question. Out of all the things you're doing right now, you have your book, you have the new book, you're giving lectures, you're working with people. What's the most exciting thing that you're working on right now if you had to choose one thing? What are you most excited about? 
my patients are always primary for me. So I'm actually the most excited about things that I'm building with for my patients. So during the work week, this is my day job and that's my primary focus. So I just had a team meeting with my, uh, my team this morning and said, how are awesome ways we can expand patient care, improve patient experience, improve the just the overall functional medicine experience for patients. That's actually what most excites me. So we're going to meet on a weekend to actually talk about that because we don't have time during the week because we're <laughs> meeting with patients. So we're going to meet on a Friday when we after patients or Saturday uh, to talk about that. That's actually what I'm most excited about. We're going to expand patient experience and improve patient experience. And we're talking about group classes virtually to get democratize functional medicine even more to make it more accessible for more people. And it's all of our patients are working class people now, but I want to expand it even bigger uh, to make it even more accessible. So that would probably be what I'm most excited about. But I'm also excited about the book, my book, that Inflammation Spectrum is coming out. I'm still excited that Ketotarian is resonating with so many people. And I'm also excited about a new podcast that I have with Goop. So it's called Goop Fellas. It's Goop is Gwyneth Paltrow's wellness brand. So she asked me to co-host this with Seamus Mullen. And we're talking about men and wellness and life transformation. So that just came out recently. They can get it on Apple Podcasts, Goop Fellas, one word. And uh, so I'm excited about the conversations we're having there too. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to put that in the notes as well. So Goop Fellas on uh, iTunes. Awesome. Well, Will, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Everything's at drwillcole.com. So they just go to drwillcole.com. That's really one the home for everything. Awesome. Well, well I want to acknowledge you for not just the time we we just shared on this podcast episode, but just for your life lifelong work and your dedication. I could just tell you're just a, a genuine person who cares about the people you're working with. You care about this mission that you're carrying out into this world. We just gave um, some really disgusting stats and you're putting a really big dent in that. And I really admire that. I respect you tremendously. And whatever I can do to support your mission, I want you to know that I'm here to support it. And I admire what you're doing. And I want to just say thank you for your work. Thank you for always showing up. And, and thank you for everything that you do to make a positive impact in this world. Wow, well, that very kind of you. Thank you so much. And I don't take that responsibility lightly. So thank you so much for the kindness. And same for, for you. Anything I can do to support you, let me know. Thank you, Will. there you have it. That was an amazing conversation with Dr. Will Cole. Be sure to check out all the resources, all the notes, all the links down below. We do a comprehensive job at providing you every link, every detail that was spoken about during each episode. So make sure you take advantage of that. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. I hope you found value from this episode. And if you did, I would just please ask you to rate and review this podcast. Give us some honest feedback. It'll help get the message out there on keto and fasting. And you never know, your rating and review could help show this podcast to somebody and they start listening to it and they reverse a disease. They get healthier just because you decided to take 30 seconds out of your day today to write that review and to rate the podcast. So I would please ask you to do so. If you want additional information on my work, go to www youtube.com slash keto camp. The library on there is amazing. I'm releasing two to three to four actually new videos on the keto camp YouTube channel every week. So go to keto camp. Remember camp with the K on YouTube and subscribe and watch those videos. If you haven't gotten my free 
Keto Kickstart Guide. It is a 12-page ebook, four steps, four ways to burn fat instead of sugar. Go to www.ketokickstartguide.com and get that free resource. I want to thank you again. Stay tuned for the next episode, and we are determined and committed to educating you on the amazing benefits of keto and fasting. Have a healthy and grateful day. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.